Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy, and as always with Managing Editor Richard Hill. Yes, uh, I am here and uh, very excited to be here uh, yep. for a couple of reasons. One is because we're actually talking to a, a wonderful uh, friend and colleague of mine that i uh, I have never seen in person. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll talk about does this fantastic stuff in uh, wilderness therapy, who uh, is originally from America, uh, but he's now out here, married an Australian girl. What a wise lad. And uh, <laughs> living in South Australia. But, but uh, you got a couple of bits and pieces about him there, Matt? Yeah, sure. So Dr. Will Dobud, so he's been involved in outdoor therapy and uh, therapy services for adolescents uh, in the United States, Australia and Norway since 2005. Um, so as you said, he's moved to Australia and married an Australian lass. And uh, so since he's been out here engaged in research and teaching um, social work with the Charles Stewart University and in South Australia, and his research focuses on improving psychotherapy outcomes through better engaging the disengaged human rights and ethical practices. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so, I mean, his PhD in 2020, uh, he also, while he was doing it, he brought out a book. Uh, so he's got a book with Dr. Oh, yeah. Harper, Outdoor Therapies, and he's just got a new one coming out from, uh, uh, who is it from? I'm not quite sure it was Rutledge, but uh, but solution-focused uh, practice in outdoor therapy uh, with Stephen Natchezuk. Uh, yep. which I'll check to see whether I've got the pronunciation right. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll, we'll put the links in the show notes anyway. But if you're interested um, after the conversation, pre- jump on to www.willdobud.com, willdobud.com, and you'll find out those those publications and, and more about him. Brilliant stuff. And of course, uh, you know, as always, just a reminder that if you really love what we're doing, you can certainly go whole hog and come in and become a member of the Academy. And then you get access to not only these podcasts uh, with a CEU point, but also our magazines with CEU points and our courses and all the information. Uh, But of course, you can always just come in and you'll find a little button there. You can buy us a cup of coffee if you just want to give us a small amount to help us keep going. Because we have a great time, but we've got to keep going. And that's what we want that we want to do. So please come join us in whatever way you can. And we will have a new announcement about something brand new, a membership type of opportunity coming up. Keep your ears open for that one. Fantastic. Okay, let's go across and uh, talk to Dr. Will Dobart. Will, thank you for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to meet you. It's great to, well, I've engaged with Richard a lot over the past few years. And so it's great to actually be virtually face-to-face with uh, the two of you. And I love the podcast. And uh, you did something that a lot of us did. We get locked down and then we create podcasts. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. absolutely. And it is great to see. I I, I realize this is the first time we've actually sort of had a a live uh, uh, engagement. And and I I was thinking, oh, I, I... all kinds of you an accent you do this you you like to wear hats but there's <laughs> lots of really uh, but it but it is it, it it is interesting all this stuff of of the uh, which ties into what we're going to talk about it's it's the the nature of the way we connect with nature uh you know what's natural what's not natural why why do we Ooh. do it and and I, I mean, I've been following um, nature therapy and uh, uh, outdoor therapies and things for a long, long time. Some really interesting people I've met over the years. So when when you came into the space, I just said, oh, interesting guy, I'm sure. And you are. <laughs> so we want to tease out a little bit. No, uh, I'm not sure how many people are already aware of your stuff. You've got a couple of books. We'll talk about those. Uh, you've done a PhD. Goodness gracious me. Uh, people will have no sense uh, you know, for time. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, can you just fill us in a little bit on, we've said a couple of things about you, but just basically what you're doing. Uh, what's a bit of your story? What's that that you'd like to share with people? Well, I had I had my own difficult adolescence and and difficult family family uh, family conflict, and, and as as many of us do, that lead us into working with similar people to ourselves, uh, turning the mirror, uh, you know, towards back towards us. Um, but growing up, I loved summer camp. I was a terrible student. I'm a, even though yeah, you said books. I'm a painfully slow reader, like horribly slow, um, and. But when I went to summer camp, 
I was happy and I felt like I belonged and I had something to contribute. And so uh, leaving high school, which was, I, I think, the greatest day of my life, never having to go to high school ever again, <laughs> um, I ended up getting a job working outdoors with, with kids that were, um, you know, quote unquote, naughty kids, substance use, behavioral issues, self-harming, um, lots of serious stuff going on. But at the same time, I was also training to be a, a firefighter in Maryland, uh, just outside Washington, D.C. I just wanted to be useful somehow. And I looked at the firefighters I would be training to walk into a burning building or rip apart a, a car wreck with. And then I look at these naughty kids I'm, I'm working with in the woods and going, I'd kind of rather firefight with these kids. These are people you can trust. And look at how interesting they are and they and they're um they're engaged and they're there's um all these things and i just i just thought um you know this is kind of a really nice way to engage with people that being outside and i had a social worker really take me under his wing this is brooke brody i've talked about him a lot um and he said he basically said you have to go to university and you have to you, you can't get paid uh, Burger King wages to live outside over half a year. Um, and your girlfriend's going to leave you because you're, you'd rather hang out in West Virginia in the woods than with her. And, uh, she did. And, uh, he was right. <laughs> um, but it was a, it, I just never looked back at this idea of working outdoors. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's such, there's been some, some fantastic uh, uh, research and there's been some books and people talking about things. We've got people also, we, we hear about extremes, but, you know, nature, uh, you know, David Attenborough, you know, a lot of these things. And people are surprised. Uh, uh, and I think it, it that type of surprise that we have of uh, when we go on holidays. Uh, I, I used to work on a cruise ship when I was younger to, to you know, it's sort of not really cool. right out, but but people would relax. And at the end of the trip, uh, you know, they have lots of fun. They go to the islands, they, 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 they'd really slow down. And then as they got off the boat, they'd say, oh, well, back to the real world. Uh, right. Like like yeah. this thing we've invented. And that's what surprises surprised me and why I got interested in it, uh, Will, because people were surprised how pleasurable nature was, whereas that's kind of where we came from. Um, what do you find this this barrier, this strange cutoff? This is it a dissociation? What what could we call it that creates us thinking it's normal to be in a concrete jungle? Well, I, this is first off. What's really interesting is when I turned when I left high school, my school guidance counselor said, "Go work on a cruise ship and get out of here." And I just never. I, I probably would have never come back, but I never did. So interesting story. Yeah, I did um, it for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the, so we just got back from an international venture therapy conference in Norway and our, our, the, the committee who puts all that together, the international committee, we have representatives from India and one of my really good friends, Tanya Jinwala from India, she did a presentation. She was talking about our values and she says when, when she's out in the, in the Himalayas talking with farmers and, and people who know the land when she says outdoor therapy, it, it, it doesn't make any sense because this idea of improving your connection to something you're already connected to doesn't make sense to those people. And so we we can get in a rut of saying, well, you know, indigenous people have been doing this for forever and, and for the longest time. But what the sort of the, the fallacy with that argument is there was a kinship with nature. It wasn't using nature. So we often think of go outside and let nature heal you. And this is sort of medicalizing something that's always around. And so we can get an, an Alan Levinovitz, um, a philosopher of religious studies in America, he has a great book called Natural, which is about how this idea of natural good, unnatural bad, is creating some some dichotomies that aren't actually leading to a lot of healthy. Um, uh, it makes us sort of worship nature and can turn that into sort of a religion. 
And then, and this is a trap for outdoor therapists, we think everybody needs to go outside <laughs> instead of someone might really like to sit in the confines of a safe, confidential office <laughs> and, and, and be on the couch. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so, but I do think uh, many of us are disconnected from the outdoors and there's, there's a real big importance in, in our work that outdoor therapy has often been perceived as where I started my career. Teenagers, very far away from home, doing serious adventure for a long time. Robin Williams sat with Matt Damon on a park bench in Boston. And it's one of the, everyone says that's the greatest portrayal of therapy on, on, in pop culture. It was outdoors on a park bench. Yeah. Yes. And with so the, with it, the, it, the, the water in front of them and the ducks and the, yeah, and it's the, the cover yeah, of the movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, can I just backtrack just a little bit about um, mm. the, you know, the dynamics of being in nature and sort of being in a more controlled environment. Um, so, so my perspective is that uh, even when we are in nature, we still, we still uh, manufacture a bit of a controlled environment. If we bring a tent, for example. Um, and so it's, it's not this thing that, you know, total, you know, being in the wild in a completely uncontrolled environment. Yes, completely they, good. naked in the mud. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. Although I, that I think, can be fun. <laughs> I think there's a, yeah. there's, there's a balance there and an interesting dynamic between uh, controlled environment and the wild, um, which is, which mm. is really interesting in our relationship um, in how we, create a controlled environment with the outdoors. Did, did you have anything to sort of to comment about that? If we, if we take a trauma-informed lens to this, yep. that an unpredictable environment is typically what leads to complex trauma in the, in the childhood, if, we, if we're t adopting that, that, that viewpoint. So there can be something risky about going outdoors where things unpredictable happen. And so, and where someone you know we 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 talk about trauma coming from experiences with no escape if you're very far in the outdoors there often isn't an escape um and so we do have to be mindful of setting up if we're if we're doing something adventurous that we set up as many opportunities for client choice as possible and that that gives a sense of control and ideally that's not just a perceived sense of control that that they're contributing to to the the adventure um, and I think um, you're absolutely right that there, there, there is ways that we, we facilitate these different experiences. And, and in many ways, the adventure is, is just a metaphor for the, the adventure we all go when we're in therapy anyway, or, or leading who knows where we're going to end up. And so um, we, we, uh, we talk about people's sense of adventurosity, that, that willingness to embrace the unknown and, and see where it goes and see what we come up with throughout this experience. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 yeah, there's a, there's, oh, sorry, Matt, you go, you go. I've got no, I was just thought. gonna say, but within the adventure, there's still, especially again, through the lens of um, trauma and trauma therapy, mm -hmm. um, we do have to have um, some semblance of uh, control and have a controlled mm -hmm. environment, right? Because otherwise you could exacerbate, yeah. That, that yeah, and that, that's control. that's why you need to have a, a bit of knowledge and background. It's not just you know going out and tough love. I, I've got a little mm -hmm. example. I'd love to get your comment on on Will. Yeah. It was a, a group, and they were largely uh, sort of oppositional defiant uh, sure. a group. Now that had led to them to being with drugs and crime and so on and so on. But basically, they just they just really were pissed off with the world. And uh, one of the rules. That they said they, that we went, they went to, uh, adventuring, and one of the rules was uh, you've got to set up your own tent. Everybody's got to be responsible for their own their own safe environment when they get to a you know a camp. Anyway, the, the they're getting there, and the, the chap who was telling this is uh, with um, uh, Canadian uh, First Peoples. It was quite interesting, and. Anyway, they, they, they get to the uh, a storm is coming, and they can see these clouds are rolling in, and uh, 
they're there and the, my friend who was leading the group was says, okay, everybody out with your tents, get going. So he's doing the tent. And, of course, an oppositional defiant person will also self-sabotage. So they'll, uh, you know, so he was getting out the tent and not putting the spokes in properly and, and sort of stumbling and fumbling and, and going, I can't do this and mm. uh, and turning to the my mate and, and said, um, you've got to help me do this. And he just turned to him and he said, I'm sorry, Brian, it's called. Sorry, Brian. This is between you and nature. <laughs> and then he turned back and 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 went working uh, on his tent. And the kid worked it out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he sort of. Uh, uh, so that was that was a breakthrough moment, and there'd obviously been quite a few before. But that sort of um, uh, uh, putting somebody back into the framework of of you're not in a. Uh, okay, certainly, as you say, things like uh, you know unresolvable issues, wanting to escape, but in situations where putting him into someone in a situation like that, say you got to solve this. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering what your thoughts to and fro, up and down on on that experience. Well, there's 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 kind of we look back at the history of of wilderness therapy, especially with youth, and there is quite a paternalistic and and coercive nature and get out of your comfort zone. And uh, I mean, we still have that language permeate our literature that we're, we're pushing people out of their comfort zone, building self-sufficiency, um, these sort of things. And if um, this is such an important question because what can be a breakthrough for one can be horrible for another. Yeah, this and is so, what I was thinking too as I was listening and, and so one of the um, things I learned working with um, indigenous young people in Alaska was we we did everything for everybody for the first few days. We were just really good hosts. And this was an alternative to going to prison. So they were they were pretty rough young people. And we wanted people to feel safe and feel cared for. And that way they would engage more in the adventure where they they didn't have an escape where it was, I get to go home. It was, you can leave and, and go go to jail. Like, that's fine. But what we wanted was, if during the first few days, we made sure they knew how to set up a tent and really helped them and didn't overload them with skills. This is another thing people do. They take young people, let's say rock climbing, and they go, this is a harness. It has five different buckles. This is a rope. You're going to have to tie a fit. All they're doing is staring at the cliff going, oh my gosh, how on earth am I going to climb that? Put them in the harness so they don't have to worry about that. You know, So we overload people with skills. And so um, one of the things with the tent is I'd want to make sure everyone knew how to set up a tent. And then when it's when the storm comes, that that person doesn't have to really overthink it. And it can be embracing the adventure where the guide can be involved going, everybody hurry up. We've got to do this in a really fun way and build excitement and curiosity and engagement with the people. So there is times and I think this is something that sort of unknowingly happens where we view nature as the punishing parent teacher. And so we can think of when it, when it, um, how are you embracing getting rained on? Well, getting rained on sucks, you know, like, it's not like, well, it can't be really fun if you're getting muddy and you're playing and being, being exciting. Um, but yeah, so it, it can go both ways. And I think when, when people feel, um, when you have that engagement, and I think this is the therapeutic, it's just in the therapeutic relationship, it, the, the, the safe container of, an, of the outdoors that you've tried to facilitate becomes a brave space to play, to, to uh, adventure, to push yourselves, to challenge your thinking, to all these things that, that we do in the, in, the, in the counseling room as well. Uh, it's just a little bit more active bodily engagement is probably the only difference. Yeah. Yeah. C- can we just step back a second here and the academic in me wants some definitions. So oh, can we can we sort of define <laughs> what wilderness therapy or, or, or outdoor therapy oh. is, maybe with an example, um, just so that we can sort of get a clear picture of what you're actually doing out there? Yeah. So 
there's a name game here. There's adventure therapy, wilderness therapy, nature-based therapy. That list goes on as long as the list of ACT, CBT, DBT goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it goes on forever. There's a ton of T's. Wilderness therapy is typically portrayed with a longer-term expedition-style backpacking or canoeing along a river for days on end. So that's typically longer. Adventure therapy is typically... Um, is that tends to be more community-based and can be indoors. That can be a rock climbing gym. It can be in a gymnasium. It can be um, one-on-one or in groups. So that's a bit more of, of what, it's more common to see that type of practice. The difference of that and nature-based, no one really knows. My colleague Nevin's probably gonna kill me about saying that because he wrote a nature-based therapy book. actually really good um but it's not necessarily about that adventure adventurous programming we've all settled for adventure therapy as our terminology and that's actually really quite limiting because people with disabilities often think well i can't go on adventures people doing equine assisted therapy outside don't view their work as adventurous neither do the horticultural folks um which is why Nevin really looked at outdoor therapies as a commonality of um, this work, which is where that book sort of came from. And so that's where we wanted to look at what are the, all the therapies that are happening outside? What are their differences? Um, what, what, are the, what are those sort of things? The one issue with our terminology is there's an inherent belief that adventure therapy is enough of a term to be a model in itself, which is why we wrote the solution focused book. Now, I, I don't, I, I'm I'm shamelessly solution focused. I can't get it out of me. It won't go anywhere. Um, but I do understand the common factors and I take that way more seriously that I don't think me being outdoors or solution focused makes me a, a better practitioner than anybody else. Yeah. It does. I am a better practitioner working that way, though, than being inside and trying on different models. It's just if I think about in social work, we talk about the use of self. That's just me. It's my makeup. It's my psychology. One of the issues is the outdoor therapies can be way too eclectic and there's no roadmap. There's lack of theoretical understanding. So there's there's people going, well, trauma needs bilateral stimulation of the brain. And that's what hiking does. So that's what I do. But I also do a bit of CBT and I use the miracle question and there's some narrative journaling and letter and it's a, it's a, it can become a gigantic mess and it's not well. And that's one of the, I think one of the big hurdles of why the outdoors hasn't gained the recognition it probably deserves as a, just another way to engage people. And, and we have an engagement problem in psychotherapy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, look, I'm a big believer in um, referring clients to the best, you know, possible, you know, therapies, mm. therapists. And mm. so as a talk therapist, you know, I you know, sit in an office and talk to people. How do I, how do I know um, what would be a good client to refer to someone like yourself? And because uh, I don't really have any idea because exactly like you said, it's not clearly defined. Mm. I don't really know what I'm referring my client to, although I have some idea that maybe outdoor therapy could be really helpful for them. Right. Oh, this is such a good question. And and I mean, for, for a lot of people, and this was what my PhD research found is I, I work with teenagers and and that that outdoor therapy isn't solely just for teenagers, but that's the dominant narrative. Um, and so we'll stick with teenagers for the moment. Teenagers are often described in the literature as the most difficult people to engage in therapy. And I kind of think, and there's nothing wrong with sitting in talk therapy with teenagers. I know plenty of them that prefer it to going outside with me and they can sit on the couch and do that. No problem. Um, the, we're kind of doing something that evolutionarily doesn't make any sense. Hey, adolescent that wants to leave the nest, sit down and talk. And so, right. does, exactly. you know, it, and so, um, you know, like, like even, uh, as someone who's, uh, 
pretty ADHD person myself, it's really interesting to think only in the last 1% of human history have we told them, sit down from five years old to 18, from nine to five every day and learn from books. Yeah. Um, so, the, so we've lost a lot of experiential learning from things. But this question of who to refer to is really interesting because we know from the research that having a qualification makes for a confident practitioner doesn't necessarily predict how effective they are. So in the outdoor therapies, we have two pathways, people who come from the adventure angle and people who come from the therapy angle. And I would want to know what their, just what their, what their um, competencies are in doing that. And I would like someone to be able to do the elevator pitch of what what it is that their practice does, which was, that was the sole motivation for the solution-focused outdoor therapy book was, here is a model of, from, from two people who have, have quite, you know, enough experience to write something down. And here's how we go about supervision. Here's how we go about doing our feedback-informed stuff outdoors and building our own data. Here's how we work with referrers. Here's how we work with parents. Here's and and like I, I I like that that gets thought out because because time and nature can be really nice. Also, like Richard and I are, are calling in from Australia, where nature has a tendency to kill you here. So time and nature can be horrible at the same time. Exactly. And so, what can happen in the outdoors? And, and let's take wilderness therapy because because I think this happens and this is a this is a trick. You've taken young people away from a, probably a difficult family context and out of high school. So they're on a camp. This is awesome. They don't have phones. They don't have drugs. They're eating well. This is what, um, is it Joseph Ardern? Uh, John Arden? John, yes, 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 yes. Sorry. Yeah. So he talks about this uh, seeds model. And yes, so yes. Sleep, yeah. education, exercise, diet, social interactions, seeds. Yeah. You're doing all of that. So clients feel good. Mm. And so then people start going, look at how happy these people are. This is amazing. That doesn't mean that person is emotionally or psychologically totally disengaged in any of the therapy. They're just sleeping better and eating well, and they look like a compliant client. And compliance in the, in the therapy is not a therapeutic outcome. So then they get home and when the when the when all the eruptions happen and the steps backwards and the 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 figuring all of this out, the 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 therapist can go. It's that it's those parents meet the parent meet the problem, and all we did we could have done something really nice. We provided a really nice experience for somebody, but the cash value of that long term. So we need more than just the that that baseline seeds. We need more than the feel good in nature, it has to have that roadmap. So I'd want to know that someone is, is able to discuss their framework for how they work, the roadmap, and that it's not just too eclectic or reliant on nature as healing as a, mm. as a, a baseline statement. Yes, that, that's serendipitous um, uh, outcome, mm. although that certainly can have its, uh, can occur. But yes, so what happens when it doesn't? So they need to, we yeah. need to know that they've, they've got, uh, they've got response to the serendipitous uh, uh, emergence, but also they've got response to, um, to when it isn't. So, so they can, what mm -hmm. I, what I often call uh, create opportunities in the appropriate circumstances. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, no, cool. Sorry, Matt, you had to... Yeah, no, I, I was just wondering about the um, the time factor as well. I mean, anyone that, you know, goes on a short trip or just goes for a week overseas somewhere, you you, you feel totally different. You can you can act very different. Like you, you were saying, you can dissociate from your regular life and as soon mm -hmm. as you come back, everything's the same. Um, yeah. So in, in, in terms of... So I would imagine the engagement when you're out in the wild, you know, it's it's... It's it's full on. It's intense, like you said. Um, everything has has changed. But does there need to be like a, a, a recurring exposure um, to that, or or is so? So what 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 can you say about the time factor of of being exposed to your therapy? Yeah. So this is one of the uh, 
um, one of the trickiest things in our field that we don't, especially in wilderness therapy, and we're going to we're going to poo-poo some of the practices in the United States here for a minute. That there is a movement of young people calling themselves survivors of America's troubled teen industry, which is a multi-million dollar industry of for-profit programs, long-term, involuntary. And, and in the context outside of the United States, this makes virtually no sense that a parent can involuntary have involuntarily basically sign over medical consent to a behavioral health care program. And what happens is young person can be taken in the middle of the night, taken to the woods where there are licensed, qualified practitioners holding someone against their will. No judge, no assessment, no anything, just parents, parents assessment, parent referral. And they're held for a very minimum, an average, sorry, there's no fixed length of stay, an average of 90 days at 500 US dollars a day. Whoa. Epic money. Over 50, and I'm, and I, I'm gonna misquote the data here, but I'll, I'll, say, I'll say, I'm confident in this statement. Over 50% of those young people finish that program and do not go home. They go to a therapeutic boarding school or a residential treatment facility. And so if we all went to Google Scholar right now and typed in adventure therapy, I did this with students just last week. The first page of results, all but two of the references that come up are from those type of programs. So that's the dominant, one of the reasons myself, Nevin, and a, and a few others have been so active in, in the literature and writing is that we have a horrible dominant narrative in our field, which is mm. take people away for long periods of time and then plop them back in once they've done two years away and, and wherever they are. And this is... Um, Half of the research, if you went to my Google Scholar page, is about these involuntary practices using nature as the as the prison for affluent white people. So, if these were inner city, you know, if, if not to be uh, tokenistic here, but if these were inner city black kids, they'd probably be in jail. But they have this affordance of going to the woods for a long period of time until their adolescence is over. So, what we need. And, and, and this is the way I, when I, and by the way, full disclosure, I worked at these programs. I know, I know them very well. And I, and I, I can empathize with the, there's, these are not bad people who work at these programs. These are systemic, horrible practices. Right. And um, it took me coming to Australia and starting my own program. And it, I actually got very angry in the way I was trained because some of these practices still come up like, oh my gosh, I can't trust this person. I need to, what do I need to do to, to make sure this person doesn't run away? And instead of going, this person wants to run away, I better go build some relationship with this person and figure out what's going on. And the first thing I realized coming to Australia is there's not many people doing expedition work that long-term outside of the United States. My expeditions are two weeks and that's typically... If a, if a parent calls me in South Australia and says, I'd like my young person on one of your programs, and I go, well, my expedition's, not, it's September now, it's not till October, why don't they come to my office and we can start working together now? And I can see. And then if I get parents from interstate, I can, I, I can't start working with that person right away. So there's a problem with that model. And so we encourage practitioners to really focus on working in their community because what we tend to do is they come away on a program and we go, hey, Richard's a good therapist in your hometown. Go work with him. But then Richard has no context in what happened in the outdoors and has no link. They're not continuous. So if we do do longer term expedition work, and two weeks is quite long in the Australian context. Um, and again, this is cultural. When I talked about going to summer camp, I went for eight weeks on end as a young person. I couldn't wait to get out of the house. I loved it. That doesn't happen as often here. Um, and so we have to find a way to bring that adventure home 
to people. So we do things like make a video of the experience, take a lot of pictures. If the young person wants to walk around with the GoPro for a day and, and film their own adventure, I'll edit it and, and send it to them. They can have it. Um, there's great things to do like, uh, they can write letters to themselves that we can randomly mail them six months later from the expedition. So there's a lot of opportunity for um, giving giving them a T-shirt that doesn't look like, oh, I went to therapy camp, but like <laughs> a, bad, a badass adventure T-shirt, <laughs> giving them outdoor gear. There's a lot of things we can do to um, remind them. And 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 for instance, when, when the solution-focused book, it's only getting in technically, I have a copy of it, but it's only in print tomorrow. The first client who came on our expedition, two of them, we only had three kids on that program um, when we started and uh, we made no money. It was a total loss as a business move. But, and I was a bit hurt that, oh my gosh, I'm used to working with groups of 10. This is crazy. It was a remarkable experience. It was mm. so cool. Just myself, an outdoor educator and three young teenage boys. It was incredible. And um, two of those three have reached out and uh, this week and have asked me, can I have a copy of the book? I don't know why they'd want to read a therapy book. Neither of them are therapists, but right. that was over 10 years ago. Wow. I'm not in contact with them. I don't have anything. I'm not still their therapist. I have nothing, nothing to do with them at all. And so there is something magical about be helping people to keep that adventure going yep. um, because just like any psychological intervention, the impact will decay with time. There will be new problems in people's lives and they can always come back. And and and, um, and so we've never charged for follow-up services. If a young person wants to call and check in, they can. Um, if they want to go canoeing for an hour, no problem, let's go. Um, and so, um, and so we, I think that's an important thing because it's a very real it's very real to sleep in the dirt next to someone, um, it, it, you know, and and be as as Richard said, to be soaked in the rain and miserable, um, yeah. and 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 so the more we we talk about this in outdoor education, and I think there's implications for this in therapy. We talk about the disnification or the McDonaldization of the outdoors, which is to think. Um, which is to homogenize the adventure for everybody. And so if we go outside, we have to be open to what happens. That's that sense of adventurosity that we don't. And, and we do this in therapy a lot. When, when we get in a difficult situation with the client, we revert back to what we do naturally. And we go for the easiest thing instead of really leaning into, this is a super uncomfortable experience experience and this is right. really hard um yeah. and 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 going to supervision going oh, i was not good today and and all of these things that we can do um so it's important that we we know that this is somebody's real adventure and it's not um um that we can't make it too fabricated it, it won't it mm. won't land mm. if it doesn't come across as real yeah yeah there's got to be an organic aspect to it. Mm. Can I just make a comment about the videos and the photos? That is mm. a brilliant um, therapeutic tool mm. um, to uh, consolidate memory um, mm. and to to because because our you know our our memories are, are not real good. Every time we recall <laughs> in our imagination, it changes. Um, and but to have video and photo cues um, that bring mm. back the real visceral memory of what went on, um, I think that is a that's a brilliant way to continue um the, the power of the the experience yeah and then the last of last them to go deeper too mm. uh, i mean i'm we actually just watched a a, a movie last night uh, you know a commercial movie that we'd seen before uh it was dune uh dune mm -hmm. which, which is you got to imagine death and uh and I got so much more out of it. Uh, there was so much more I could see. And of course, so if you're looking at your own your own experience, there's uh, there's sort of oh wow, no, oh I can just see see myself looking at, at myself going oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, just a minute. Oh, look what I'm doing there. That that sort of rediscovery and deeper discovery mm. and uh, you know mm. it's it's so uh, that's that's really fantastic. And do you, I suppose you get uh, feedback on on these sorts of things, uh, Will? Yeah, yeah, I, I've continued to um, one of the one. Yeah, I, I continue to refine and define 
what it is we do. And then COVID um, hurt expedition work greatly, um, which is a shame because that's it is just what I love more than anything else. And uh, um, but one of the things we 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 I feel like we hit well. We're always trying to get better, so we're not settling for what we've got. But uh, in, right in 2020, we developed a parent program. So I'm always because because I do view it as a family therapy, but there is this youth focus, right? And one of the things we did, and and I was so proud of this, is I made a I made a workbook for the parents, and I made a webinar associated with every day their young person is is in the bush, and it was all lighthearted, surface level, solution focused stuff. Describe your perfect day with your child. Um, we did some psychoeducation. And parents filled this stuff out and, and they have said, so that was, we finished that three years ago and parents still reach out and say, you know, every time things are difficult and things aren't perfect, I go back to all those things I wrote about where, where are we headed? Not where are we going from? And, and, and then this is all suggestive, you know, there, the solution focus leans on some Ericksonian stuff as well. Right. Um, and so I think that, it, it's really nice that parents there the adventure is this is this giant exception to the problem and this is why solution focus landed on me so hard is we referred these kids that have been arrested they don't go to school and then they're engaged in learning in the outdoors and they're patient and sitting still and dealing with stress and and not self-harming asking for help from adults building a better relationship with a person of authority. All of these are gigantic exceptions to the problem. And if there's an exception to the problem that's lived out, that client has shown, has provided evidence to themselves that they can deal with some other things. They've, yeah. they've, and so what happens is when things inevitably go wrong and, and a parent calls, we go, okay, so we've had this exception. Let's, let's look back at what did something that did work and find out what are the clues we have to, to already work with. And so sending parents on a metaphorical expedition with a workbook and all of this, and, and it's like little short five minute videos. And we talk about, like we did like a journal assignment. What is everything? Like, I think I wrote it in kind of a funny suggestive way. I said, there's a fine line between careful and careless and therapists sometimes don't know where that is. So I wonder, well, before we take your young person out in the woods, can you please let us know everything we should not change about your child? Because <laughs> we don't want to change things that are really good about your child. Yeah. And sometimes we make, and so parents write this, you know, I have a long extensive, like we have to do risk assessment of who, you know, we have to make sure we're, we're taking someone that can be safe in the outdoors, of course. And so then we have this long list of the problem. And then like a week later, we get this huge list of everything that's great about their child. And then they start working. I go, I go, oh, that's fantastic. And then we do things like your child's returning home tomorrow and we're not very good at gauging outcome. So um, what we need, though, are, are 10 to 15 signs over the next week, however small, that things have worked. What are they? And so then they start looking for those things. And we call them, we say, well, you need to be our Sherlock Holmes of change. Can you please make sure you... So the whole family is on this journey of doing more of what works. Yeah. And, and, and so doing, bringing the parents in as that, that key witness, the, the third-party observer, it, it, to me, it, it solidified a lot of things. We ended up with way less phone calls about follow-up. Uh, this is because I'm a, a nerd that counts everything. That uh, Daryl Chow keeps telling me to stop count, only count what what values. Stop counting everything. <laughs> um, you know, um, you're going to get vanity metrics if you keep counting all this random crap. Um, but I do think there is it, it 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 really bringing the family in on the journey even more. And I keep thinking how we can do that even more. I don't know. It gave everybody a sense of agency. And so the the outdoor part is just the, 
it's just the experience. And then everything that happens after that is the magic and, and how we can avoid this notion of you need to take my child away and reform them. And, um, and, and this is this, that model that I was, that I was talking about that I, I grew up in. I mean, I started working in the field at 18. It's steeped in religion. There is, there's still, conversion-ish therapy things happened, not under that name, but people referred to acting out against church values, like things that don't necessitate an involuntary secure care are leading people into something that's akin to this. And so that's a problematic narrative because that is not um, taking young people with disabilities surfing and giving them a real adventure that maybe they're not afforded. And, and um, the surf therapy chapter of the outdoor therapies book yeah. blew me away because they have a surf chair. So for people in wheelchairs, they get on a, on a chair with a surfer and go on an amazing adventure. That's so cool. And I talked about Tanya from India. They, she worked for an organization called adventures beyond barriers. I can send you a link to put in the show notes to this video. Yeah. This was created by a, a, a blind person, this organization. It's not really therapy, but this gets into the adventure part where he believed that adventure is a way to improve social inclusion. And so what they did is they take people with a physical disability, such as being visually impaired, pair them with an able-bodied person, and they go on adventures. And I'm talking about adventures. Mm. Tandem bicycle in the Himalayas five mountain passes, nearly 20,000 feet. Everest right. is 27, 28,000 for context. No oxygen. They were the first, the, the highest road um, for an automobile. They biked it on a tandem bicycle, a blind person and an able-bodied person. And what ended up happening was that organization grew and grew and grew. And a famous architect in, in India went, was like, I'm, I would like to volunteer it on do the, I'll be the able-bodied person for an adventure. And he came back from that adventure and realized all the buildings he had created were not accessible to wheelchair and, and for visually impaired oh, wow. people. Out of his pocket, changed them. Wow, so yeah. there's, there's so much other adventure therapy and outdoor <laughs> therapy that isn't naughty teenagers being removed from home. And yeah. so I, I always love the opportunity to share stories of people doing incredible other work in finland there's people working with stepfathers and stepsons building relationship through doing things together in canada there's an organization tip of the toes foundation working with young people impacted by cancer totally free philanthropic funding and once again serious adventure so a young person rings the bell i've done my chemotherapy and on the hospital wall is a you want to go on a venture? Are you a young person impacted by cancer? We'll pick you up. We'll fly your business class up to the Arctic, and we're going to do some whitewater rafting for two weeks. Or, you know, you're you're really sick, and and this is gonna this is gonna this is gonna take your life. Well, let's go on an adventure and let's go dog sledding in the Arctic and find the Northern Lights for you. Like, so there's incredible other stuff happening in this work as well that is uh, just remarkable. And it's just another possibility of doing something. Like I have no, I have nothing bad to say about talk therapy. Some people in my field do. I think that's a problem because we shouldn't be against each other. <laughs> you know, we should all be working together exactly. to make therapy make therapy cool again. Um, and so I, I just think it's it's incredible the amount of stuff that is out there in this world of the possibility of opening the counseling room door and getting outside. Yeah, and, and and it's this thing of engaging because I'm sure there's plenty of talk therapy around the campfire, uh, well, yeah, which which goes on and and it's this multiple engagement and and of course all the stuff and we'll probably have to wind up in a sec because yeah, uh, yeah. because of time but but mm. what a beautiful sort of set of images you you put forward and and uh, you know my mentor Ernie Rossi you know we we mm. use this word numinosum uh, you know reintroducing ourselves to the to the magnificent the fantastic the extraordinary mm. um, which as you say can occur in your room. Uh, it, it could occur in your bedroom. It can occur in, in the Arctic while white water rafting or, or yeah. bicycling up uh, uh, the Himalayas. Uh, uh, and and th that introduction, you know, that you've given uh, us 
to what this is about, what the possibilities are. And I really appreciate, you know, giving us not so much, I'm just using the word, the cautions, but those things to be aware of, mm. uh, that not just uh, it's not just a, a, a blind-eyed wander, you know, as long as you walk by a tree, you'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, and although better to do that than 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 nothing at all. So yeah. you've given us so much to think about. We want everybody to go out and look at these books. Uh, we've got the one mm. in 2020, Outdoor Thanks. Therapies. Then this mm. one that's just come out, Solution Focused Practice in Outdoor Therapy uh, with Steve. Oh, Steve mm. Natchenzuk. <laughs> yeah, that's another name. Stefan yes. Natchenzuk. Yes. I almost had it. I almost had it. <laughs> but... But I uh, and uh, you know, uh, like me and Matt, uh, combining this co-creation stuff that that you mm. do in your writing, what a, an adventure we've actually been on today. Oh, but thank uh, you. Matt, I think we I think we have to go now. Just, I, yeah, yeah, I don't fantastic. want to, but I think we do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a rambler. <laughs> oh, good. Dr. Will Dobud, thank you so much for being here on the Science of Psychotherapy, and thanks for introducing us to this wonderful world of uh, your type of therapy. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks so much. It's an absolute privilege. I love the podcast. Great stuff. Well, we'll, we'll see you again soon. Wow. I just was fascinated, Matt, by mm. um, we do need to know more than just stumbling into things mm. and just just doing things. Although just getting out into nature is a, is a really good idea. Yeah. But yeah. it was amazing how much he was able to improve the experience and refine mm. the the variabilities of it. Yeah. Look, I have to you know say I don't re I didn't really know much about outdoor therapy. I, I, there was a few television shows here in Australia about sending teenagers out into the bush with some people to sort them out you know but uh, that's probably not the spirit or the nature of what will is talking about so um, i'm keen myself to uh to learn more and um, we have asked will to put us into contact with more people we'll have some articles and uh because i think this this could be some uh, a very legitimate uh, referral oh absolutely for... and and hopefully over the next couple of months we'll be able to put together a, a a coherent and engaged course about it so not only can you study it you know pull the things mm. together but you can get some ceu points and uh, yeah. uh they're always useful uh to show and show your associations that you're, you're learning stuff that's really interesting and and really expansive love to uh, have more from will all right fantastic well thank you everybody for joining us here on the science of psychotherapy podcast and we'll catch you next time bye for now thanks for listening to the science of psychotherapy podcast for more great science Go to the scienceofpsychotherapy.com.